Yeah, do you want some room temperature rosé? I would love some room temperature rosé. In fact, I'd like to I'd like to tell people about what I'm sitting next to here in this basement as we prepare to record. Um, there are it's like a bookshelf, but there is weirdly like a few bottles of things here, and one of the things is just this delicious looking bottle of room temperature vino verde. Um, it's a rosé vino verde. It's a rosé vino very verde. very mediocre. Um, depending on how the episode goes, I will be opening it at some point. Um, it is 10.25 in the morning. <laughs> not in England. That's true. Checkmate. Welcome <laughs> to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Um, what? Today's June 18th, yes. right? Um, and we are going to be talking about summer. Obviously, we have our branded version of summer, but more specifically today, we're going to be talking about sort of the nature of publishing work in the summer and how specifically it relates to ideas of like, you know, irreplaceability and individualism in the workplace, um, because summer is often a time when those traits get really highlighted in a way we're going to discuss very soon. So before we get to any of that, how about the basic rundown? Absolutely. So if you are a member of Patreon, uh, you know that over there it is a very robust it's book bird right now. summer. Bookbird summer is happening, which is a kind of additional program Eric and I are running with in conjunction with the rest of you um, to really just rediscover our love of books and why we're pursuing this industry, why we're in it, what keeps us coming back. Um, and just, just generally like good vibes and Eurofit t-shirts. Stop it. Um, Stop it. <laughs> that Eric is wearing right now. Branded uh, Eurofit Bookboard Summer t-shirts. Tight. It is very tight, but like you feel so good in it. I do. I do feel good. I feel like my best, most elegant self. Yeah. And I'm so, glad you have purchased this. <laughs> so we are, in addition to our query show and our first pages show and our kind of like mini episode slash flexodes, um, we are doing a bunch of stuff. We've got written content planned out. We've got writing prompts. We're going to do a book club. Mm-hmm. Um, if all of that sounds fun to you, head on over to Patreon. And if you have suggestions or requests or want to share something about your own quest for loving books again during Bookbird Summer, send them to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. So, Laura. Yes. You wanted to talk about summer. I did want to talk about summer. So, yeah, like what got you going this morning? <laughs> yeah. So one of one of the things that we've talked about before and that, you know, when I entered publishing, I was told nothing happens in the summer. Right. Nothing happens in the summer because um, publishing is built on like trust fund babies who go to the Hamptons <laughs> in the summer. We did a whole episode on that. They don't yeah. work. We did a whole episode yeah. on it. Yeah. And I think in that particular episode, the idea was that's not really true anymore. Like mm-hmm. things do happen in the mm-hmm. summer. But one thing that I'm realizing that we really like neglected to dive into in that particular episode is the the discussion of why things slowed down in the summer. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I am talking about um, editor work and like acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So I am currently waiting for like several projects to go to Ed Board. And if oh, yeah. you're not familiar right now, 
Ed board is the big meeting with, it stands for like editorial board, right? Um, it's the big meeting where an editor presents a book that's been submitted to them to the rest of their team. Hopefully that they've already like circulated that book to to get kind of in department interest already and to the marketing team and to your bosses and to the sales team, et cetera, where they get approval to buy the book. Mm-hmm. Which then, you know, contracts happen and whatnot. Right. And the thing that's happening right now is that Edboard's, like, a book is taking forever to get to Edboard. And usually, like, it doesn't go immediately. Like, usually the process is you submit a project to one particular editor. That particular editor loves the project and comes back and says, I love this project. I want to, you know, try to take it to Edboard. But what they usually do first is they give it to their colleagues. They might give it to their boss in the editorial department to get that support. They do preparation. They, you know, basically they want to get everybody on board sooner so they have as much information as possible so that it's a higher chance of a yes at this particular meeting. They start basically like to frame it with where I think you're going. They start having a lot of collaborative conversations with peers they trust yes. and have trusted for a while. So right? that when yeah. it comes for that approval time, yes. they get it. Right. Um, and so normally that process takes a few weeks because it, like, it takes a long time to read a book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these other people have other parts of their job. Right. But in the summer particularly, <laughs> it is like impossible to get something to Edward in shorter than like a month or like six weeks because... People are on vacation. The star of this episode is the out-of-office messages I get in response (laughs) to literally everything I send. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so, to be clear, this episode is not a publishing people shouldn't have vacations. Right. Because they absolutely should. I just went on a vacation. Eric's going to be gone next week. We're pro-vacation. We love vacation, folks. Not working rocks. What's better than that? (laughs) What is better than that? Um... But what it got me thinking about is, like, the whole idea of PTO, the Mm -hmm. whole idea of vacation, Mm -hmm. is that in an ideal workplace, like, you as an individual should be taking all of your PTO. But also, your organization should be set up in such a way that you taking your, like, legally allotted and, you know, agreed upon vacation time at your your employer – that should not cause like an undue burden on right. the rest of your colleagues. Right. Well, publishing, we as we've kind of covered in a lot of ways, has some labor issues. <laughs> uh, Wait, that's the first I'm hearing of this. Can yeah. <laughs> in insofar as that people are overworked, people yeah. are underpaid, etc. Mm-hmm. Um and so I kind of want to approach the idea of vacation not from a like how do we solve the like labor thing which is like the answer is always like hire more people pay them more right that's not really what i want to talk about in this episode what i want to talk about is like summer for me especially like this acquisitions process and like i have authors that are waiting on edits and kind of needing to plan to talk with their editors and all of that is just taking a long time and so what it's really highlighted for me is just how irreplaceable the individuals in publishing houses, like in the production process, the editors, et cetera, um, how irreplaceable they are. Like it's not, another editor can't just like hop on this call to like discuss a plot hole 
with an editor. Like you need the individual person that bought the book, is editing the book, is working on the book to fulfill the the process. Well, so I mean, I think like it's really key here to highlight one what and this is not publishing specific, but something that happens particularly at lower level jobs, like especially like the assistant level and things like that, mm-hmm. is there is sort of this culture of um, interchangeability, right? Or you're told that there is. Like, you know, if you are going to not do your job or whatever, we'll find someone else who can, right? Like if you, you know, like an editorial assistant job, if someone quits their job, they're going to get 100 resumes for that job tomorrow, right? Yep. All that kind of stuff. And so it sort of creates this idea that, you as the individual don't really matter in that post that you're kind of there to just like fulfill a function and that if you aren't going to do it someone else will and so that is the narrative but what i think summer highlights because of the fact that so many of those quote-unquote individual pieces of the equation go missing it really shows how that's not actually how publishing works whatsoever and it really does sort of highlight how this is an industry that is built on rapport. It's built on relationships. It's built on conversations over time. Specific knowledge Le- about a specific is- piece of art. And like, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat with you right now where I'm pitching all sorts of things and I'm waiting to hear from certain people and I've got things that are close to Edboard and, you know, trying to do, you know, all the different stages of pitching that happen. And... What happens invariably during June and July, which, again, like, we are pro-vacation. The point of this episode is that we think this is really good and it highlights something really important. But, like, you get the Mm out-of-office from, you know, the editor or whoever it is that I have probably been talking to at this point for years about different things. You know, someone who I trust, I've talked on the phone with, someone who, um, you know, we understand each other's tastes, all these kinds of things. And, like, they're out of office says, you know, okay, well, if you need something, email this other person. <laughs> and it's like... But I don't want to. No. And I frankly can't really imagine that many tasks where I would want to do that. And the point is, like, we can't just replace these people. And, like, so thinking broadly, like, there's so many instances in publishing, especially in recent years, where, like groups of people, whole swat, whole departments, right? Whole everything. People have been just sort of treated, okay, well, we're going to just shuffle these people's jobs around or we're going to move these things around or we're going to, you know, cut these jobs and get new people in, all this we're kind gonna of stuff. We're going to smush these imprints together. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And it sort of just, like, it really flattens that part. It makes it really hard to do that, which is, I think, the glue of the industry is, like, actual human conversations and actual individual perspective like a thing that I tell my writers all the time because I work in, you know, nonfiction and specifically in the sort of nonfiction that isn't always the most immediately popular, right? Like, I mean, I, you know, I work with writers who are writing about things that don't necessarily get a ton of play normally. And the thing I always tell them is that we don't have to make the whole industry like this book, we have to make one editor like this book. And that's a statement, I think, that it's proven true many, many times, you know, on my list. But it's also the sort of thing that I think highlights what you're saying, which is that the individual matters, right? I mean, this isn't just we're not crowdsourcing these things. As much as publishing would like you to think that. So if you've been a longtime listener, you've 
probably internalized and understand that one of the theses of this podcast is publishing is going to tell writers that they're replaceable, that yes. they're not a key to this yes. machine. They're going to tell book workers that they are replaceable and they are not a key in this machine. Mm-hmm. But they are though. Like in the way that the 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 business works is that one writer works with one agent who sells the book to one editor who then has like one sales touch point person and it's mm-hmm. kind of like very much this small group of individuals rather than just like a gigantic nameless faceless team. So right. I want to use the rest of this episode to kind of like imagine what would be different artistically in the publishing process if instead of like letting this business pretend that this is not a like work between individuals Mm -hmm. like what if instead of looking at that is a like necessary evil that needs to be hidden and obscured like what if that is actually celebrated like what if the you know, a, a big publisher is like, well, this particular editor is incredible because of their taste, because of their vision, and they and of how they work with individual authors and because of their individual like skill. Mm-hmm. And like, what would the artistic process look like? Like, how would the experience of publishing be different if that individuality in that as like an answer to that labor problem is celebrated. If pub- yeah, I mean, the question is like, if publishing treated its workforce as irreplaceable, right? Like which wh- they are. Wh- which, <laughs> which summer, which to get back to like our initial theme, like summer proves that they are because everything grinds to a halt because certain- if one person's out of office. Yeah, because, well, I can't just email somebody else. I wouldn't want to email someone else. Yeah. Like, and that's true for nearly every agent. It's true for nearly every author. Like, all this kind of stuff. It all relies on individual relationships. And so, like, the question is, yeah, if people are irreplaceable, which you and I are arguing that they are, and I think is self-evident in publishing everywhere except for how the industry itself mm-hmm. treats its own workforce, like, what would happen if that changed? And, like, to me, I think the place to start is, like, just, like, establishing what the conditions might be. Because yeah. for me, on a very basic level, what you're describing means security, right? Like an editor, like of the type you're describing, you know, someone who is, you know, really sharp and has good, you know, vision and good relationships, all these sorts of things. Like, you know, if that person felt totally secure in their job, or if certain, you know, a certain marketing person or any anyone, I mean, pick your department, right? Like, if that person felt, okay, my perspective is being valued and it's not actually good if I repress my expertise or, you know, just try to fit in or just say yes to things for the sake of not, you know, ruffling anyone's feathers, like, what what would change? And I think we sort of get to a place where we might get a lot more interesting books out of it, you know? When you say interesting books, what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, I guess what I mean is we have often criticized publishing as being somewhat risk-averse, right? Right. And the reason it's risk-averse is because, you know, margins can be really thin or, you know, the model is, you know, boomer bust publishing, all this kind of stuff. Between that and the general precarity of 
you know, work in publishing, you know, you could you can lose your job. I mean, there aren't that many unions in public. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why you might be on the chopping block next. And what that means is you're not really incentivized to try things that haven't been tried or do things that are outside the norm. And as you and I have spoken about and nearly everyone else, you know, in our little ilk has spoken about, like, the norms are not good. <laughs> the norms are, you know, they reinforce a whole lot of, you know, bad, you know, cultural currents in publishing. So it's like if people were incentivized to think beyond that or if their taste was valued, they could explore the reaches, the end reaches of their particular taste. Yeah, and I and I think that's actually a really key point because just like thinking about some of our other, you know, issues, you know, that we've touched on, you know, before, like Individual editors, you talk to them, even ones, you know, sometimes you'll go on Publishers Marketplace and you'll see someone's like deals, books they've acquired. And it's very middle of the road stuff. You know, it's like things you'd expect within a certain, nothing really popping off. And then you call them and you talk to them and they're fascinating. And they have all these <laughs> radical ideas for what publishing could be. And they have all these, you know, thoughts about who they'd like to sign and what they're looking for but can't find. All these sorts of things. They've got super hyper-specific wish yeah. lists. No, and, I mean, yeah. they're fascinating, but they're not allowed to bring that to their job <laughs> in a certain way, you know? And it's like, what if we set that loose? Like, what would change, you know? And I feel like things would. Everything from the types of authors, you know, who would suddenly start getting more of a fair chance to, you know, the types of stories to the types of publishing. Like, what other models could we come up with? You know, or what sort of, like, I don't know, like, more radical production choices. Anything. Whatever your area is this. Like, and if you're someone who, and I know lots of people who work in the industry listen to this, um, not just, like, writers. Like, imagine you at your job if you were allowed to really like think outside the box for a minute without worrying that you were going to like stop this giant machine that doesn't care about you things would be different right like i mean whatever your role is i don't care if you're a marketer an editor a publicist whoever like things would be different and you probably would have some ideas that might change things and i think we have to get to a place where that sort of thinking is valued you know i think when you talk about that, I think about the experience of publishing from the writer side. Yeah. Um, because as a writer, it you know if you're if you're under contract with with a larger publisher, you're probably listening to this and thinking, well, my publishing experience is hyper individualized. Mm -hmm. It's not replaceable. Like you are, you have your main editor. Yeah. You two talk and work individually together. You have your specific team for publishing and marketing. Um, but I think that there's a lot of room, and this personally excites me quite a bit, like there's a lot of room if the organization that you are operating under as, you know, an author under contract, there's a lot of room for like additional input and flexibility. So mm -hmm. people under contract might not know this, but your contract with a particular publisher will lay out exactly what you are allowed to have input on yeah. in the publication process, yeah. what you're allowed to have approval over, uh -huh. what you're allowed to have, like, it basically outlines your control level, yep. right? And so, and, and you know, some really, really wonderful, wonderful editors will very much, like, keep 
an author involved throughout the entire process. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, based on the terms of your particular contract, like if you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over the copy for the cover of your book and you end up not happy with it, chances are they can just use it anyway, yeah. right? Like that's kind yeah. of how this works, right? A lot of the times you sit there and you just eventually like get a final cover in your inbox and then yep. like, oh, this is my cover. Um, <laughs> That's when, always a really good day in our world. <laughs> when, when it's just like, oh, there it is. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and, you know, different publishers have different, like, baselines for how much they involve authors yeah. in these processes from the beginning or kind of from the middle or from the end. Um, and that's always, like, very weird to navigate as an agent because it's like you go in and you, like, can't remember what St. Martin's Press does. You can't, yeah. re- like, you can't remember right. necessarily how involved they are. But I think um, with the valuing of an individual book worker, I think what you're doing is you're creating space in the artistic process of turning a manuscript into a book. Mm-hmm. Um, you're allowing space for collaboration beyond just like the words in the book. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it would still be in contracts, like who gets final approval, who gets yeah. who gets like contractually to be consulted on things. But more than that, I feel like a lot of the reasons authors are not consulted or able to really like decide on things like their covers and whatnot. Like the easy answer is, well, they're not experts. Sure. But like they read books Mm -hmm. and like all of us people who read are consumers that are important. But like most importantly, I think the reason is time. Right. Mm-hmm. The reason most publishers don't go or want author opinion is on various production items is because of time. Well, because the back. Yeah, it's because the environment of these places. One, I mean, it's like one very basic thesis that we've sort of, you know, thrown around, you know, over the years. is like most editors and people are responsible for way too many books. Yeah. You know, yeah. like everyone is overworked, which means that at every step of the turn. Or every step of the process, if there's a way to speed something up, if there's a way to streamline then something, you do it. like I don't want to say cut corners because that implies like not doing something essential, which is not what happens. But like, if you can make oh. a process more efficient, eliminating people from the conversation makes yes. it more efficient. Which is to say, like, and guess who the like, and this is true, guess who the least efficient person in the production process of a book is? It's the author. It is. And at least in the crass logic of the publishing machine, right? The author is the one who is suddenly going to want want to change paragraphs. Yeah. The author is the one who suddenly has thoughts on the cover. The author is the one who got a commit from a blurber, but they need two extra weeks for the jet. You know what I mean? Like, they are the person. They're the wild card. Yeah. And so that is, by the cruel, cold logic of the system, that's a problem. And so it's... The sort of collaborative stuff, it does – like I just I remember working in-house and, you know, there's sort of like the, the running joke. I mean I don't think it really affected our jobs or anything. But like the good, quote-unquote, good authors were the ones who like, you know, were not – they didn't, they need didn't want lo- anything. They didn't need a ton of back and forth, you know, and the bad – and again, like I'm oversimplifying. But like the authors who were maybe – you know, more difficult, you know, our publisher used the term care and feeding. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, they're the ones who, you know, needed a little more. They wanted to talk through everything. Maybe they wanted to call you a bunch. And, like, I want to make clear, like, that stuff on an individual level is really good. And I think it's essential. And it's, like, that's why rapport with certain editors that you and I have is so essential. And why yeah. we won't be emailing someone else. Because, like... I want to talk to the person who understands what my clients expect and need and are used to. And it's, I don't know, it's just like we've sort of de-incentivized any sort of actual artistic collaboration. Well, just imagine, like, all of the really big, famous authors, all of the big household name um, house authors, they have this relationship with an editor you know when you see the like when a famous author dies it's like they always want to get a statement from their long-term editor right Right. um which kind of proves the idea that like the writers have the magic yeah right in their own ideas and what they're producing but that magic is amplified and that that magic is made kind of businessy and good Mm -hmm with the support and rapport of another editor. Like, that particular team is key. And so, like, imagine the flexibility, right, that having that relationship be valued every day, not just with, you know, whoever is the big, big, mm-hmm. big, big, old, oldest shit author, yeah. right? <laughs> like, like, imagine yeah. Yeah. if that particular relationship was celebrated not just, you know, in the way that we talk about the book, but in the way that the book is produced. Yeah. Um, and, like, to be honest, like, authors can, like, learn about covered, you know, they yeah. can kind of, like, process through their own emotions. I have this conversation all the time where it's, like, the first impulse is always, like, I hate this. Yeah. Or I'm panicking now because this book is real. And then, like, eventually, like... A lot of the times, yeah. you know, you end up seeing the the rest of the elements. It's like it's not to be honest, it's not that hard to become like if not an expert, at least, at least fairly fluent, fluent, in, the, fluent yeah. right. in the elements of production, because like right. I've seen a book before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think um, about that. I want to talk for a moment about that particular rapport and relationship and having it be really valued and having it result in really incredible things. And I want to kind of talk about it. Don't blush. Like in terms of your particular work. Hmm. So you do this thing that I am just always incredibly inspired by, um, which is when you're particularly you're working with your nonfiction authors, you do a ton of commissioning. And when we talk about that, a lot of the time what we're doing is we're talking about it in terms of Eric find a writer, finds a writer online or whoever, wherever that he really likes and kind of talks to them even without them having a book idea Mm -hmm. and signs them from there. Mm -hmm. But I think an equally part or arguably more important part of that particular commissioning process is that then because you have this rapport and you care about the individual individuality of particular editors, you turn around and go to an editor and say, I have this author. Yep. We're roughly thinking about a book about this topic. Mm-hmm. Do you want to help us develop it? Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's the phrase that I like to use, you know, when I'm doing this kind of thing, at least to myself and like my notes is like, 
give people a stake in it, mm-hmm. right? Like, and obviously that's very self-evident with an author's involvement in a project because it's theirs. And it's, you know, my stake in it is like usually like back and forth. Like most of the proposals I end up pitching take months, if not longer, mm-hmm. to put together. You know, and this is obviously not the fast track to tons and tons of sales, but, it, you know... <laughs> It it's works. how Eric's going to become a millionaire. It works. It works for me um, because, but it, it just involves so much upfront collaboration, and I think like there is a certain like talking about like this sort of cold process. There is a certain amount of adjustment that has to happen when suddenly it's not me and the author working, but it's the three of you. It's and like there's no so, contract on the table. I mean. Like suddenly, you know, like suddenly you get to a place where it's like. I guess, like, what I'm saying is, like, in my personal work with the writers I work with, I try to model and I try to base our interactions off of what we're describing, which is, like, very personal. You know, let the writer, you know, let the writer be who they are, right? Like, the thing I always am thinking about is, like, okay, how do I take this person who is so good at writing about whatever it is? How do I highlight that? How do I help them find the thing that they are like, how do I put them in position to show people their expertise the best, right? Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if, like, that logic is one that could apply throughout the process, you know, whether that's editors. Like, if I were, like, a publisher, how would I think about that in the terms of the editors I've hired? You know, anything like that. And I don't know. Like, it's just, you know, in terms of, you know, me reaching out to editors at an earlier stage and stuff, like, you're giving them the opportunity to be seen and do their work as an individual. Well, exactly. And, it's and like, not just somebody who can buy a book. And it's like as someone who hates – and everyone hates this, I realize. But like as someone who hates really bland, nonspecific rejections, <laughs> like I get a lot less of them when the editor is someone I've talked to three or four times about the book, has maybe even seen an early draft of the proposal. And it's like, they don't end up having to take it, whatever. Like, if it's not for them, it's not for them. But usually, that means we're going to get a little bit more out of it. And suddenly, what is often, instead instead of a form email, we've got like a creative back and forth going. And I can either revise and go back to them, or I can, you know, take it and, you know, tweak and get it pitched elsewhere. Like it's sort of an evolving process, but more importantly than that, it's a human process, right? Like mm. the thing about subbing that sucks so much, I know for writers and to a lesser extent, but still there for us is like, it can just feel impersonal, right? Like you're just like shooting things into inboxes and hoping, you know, that something happens. And it's like every possible chance there is to take that cuts down on that, that says, hey, I'm emailing this person who I know has these interests or expertise or inclinations. Yeah. Like, let's capitalize on that. Like, that's where the best books come from. And I just look at my list and the stuff that I'm, like, the most proud of having worked on. Like, it come, it stems from that. You know what I mean? Like, it's most editors – like, I don't think I've – I mean, just to, like, be honest, I don't think I've ever sold a book to – an editor I wasn't deeply in conversation with. Mm. And so, like, for me, like, a huge part of my work is, okay, how do I develop that with as many editors as possible, right? Like, if this is how I know how to sell things, then I need to make sure that I have a very large amount of possible options to explore that dynamic with, right? And so 
it's just but like the whole point is like human beings <laughs> like, I, I think you made a really interesting point a little bit ways back and I want to really tease it out it sounds like in the idea of treating editors like individual yes. minds with talent and taste yeah. like in doing that you are by by virtue of just what you're doing you're not treating them just as like somebody with buying power right. that you can right. give something full and so what you're doing and I think this is really key is you're not just submitting some to somebody because you know their taste you're submitting to somebody because you know their taste but you also know how they work, you know their expertise, yeah. you know that they can bring the best out of the person that you're working with, yeah. which which sounds obvious, yeah. right? Like you, it sounds obvious that like your agent is going to pair you with somebody who you know has they trust or think is that, good for you and like, will yeah. do the work, right? Yeah. But so much of like the very very kind of little bit that publishers acknowledge. In, in the individuality of, of these particular editors is is a lot of the times, you know, when they promote somebody or hire somebody, it's just their taste. It's yeah. just their taste. It's just their taste. It's just their taste. Which means the ability select to select a book that's already there. Not the ability to shape the imprint. Not the ability to shape a particular project. Not the ability to develop writers. Right. It's always just taste. Pick. Yeah. Or, you know, and then you have somebody who doesn't get, you know, press time, like the assistants right. and all of that. And right. that's just doing the work. Grind it out. Yep. Yeah. So it's either you're grinding it out and you're doing yep. the work or you have the taste and you're you're not really granted the the flexibility and you're not acknowledged as as an, as an individual who has both of those things who has the expertise and has the taste well so let's go back for a second to the idea of summer yeah like every summer this happens where i like start pitching something and like i know there's like the common logic is like oh don't pitch books during the summer and there was a while where i really believed that but i'm sort of at the point now where it's like people are still reading and just takes just a long gonna, time i'm just gonna do that because you know life is short um, but <laughs> let's just say I have this book that I'm pitching that I'm like ready to go out with and like want to show to a bunch of editors and I, you know, I send them my list and I get five out of offices from five people at various places that I, that are like what we just described, people I trust, people I like, editors who have come to know as real people and not just inboxes, you know, and like that sort of grinds me to a halt a little bit every now and then because it's like I don't want to email editor B at the house. I was really interested in this other per like this is a book I is that's for them. You know what I, I mean? I will wait I, for them to come exa- off of maternity I, leave. It is better for me to wait for them to come back to show it to that. Like there are times where that is true and like that is not like often submission logic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like especially not at like like this is one of those times where I think the analog between like what we do and like authors querying agents sort of falls apart, mm. you know, because they are very different tasks, even though it is just more pitching the book to the next step in the chain, you know. But I don't know, like this season always really highlights for me how much I rely on those individual relationships and how like at first it's always like extremely <laughs> frust- frustrating, right? I'm like, ah, man. None of the people I'm so ready to talk to about this book are, like, at their desk until, like, two weeks from now or next week or whatever. And, like, but then I, you know, I think about it some more and it's, like, that's where the hope is, 
in this field. Like the hope is that it matters who I'm talking to. The hope is that maybe they, you know, maybe or maybe other people in this field are waiting for me to come back to talk to me about something because I'm the person they had in mind, you know? And Full like, disclosure, Eric's going to be out of town next weekend. Uh, or next like, week. <laughs> it's, just one of, it's just one of those things where, like, you know, we talk so much about, you know, the collective strength, you know, and especially, you know, in other spheres too. I feel like I'm always talking about, like, you know, the collective strength of, like, labor, right? Like, unions, all these things. Like, we want, you know, cohesive collective bodies of negotiation and all this kinds of stuff. But within those, I do think like the way to really value each person is to like acknowledge that they're people with taste and that they and have skill. and exactly exactly. You're right. Because we you just define <laughs> the way you just define taste is exactly right. Exactly. Perfect. Um there are people with skill and competencies and expertise in various ways and like I don't know. It's I really have a very high opinion of like as much as we often critique the industry i don't have all that many boring publishing conversations with folks like none of the one like if i call someone and we talk whether it's you know i've had calls before where i don't know i'll see someone who has acquired something completely outside my wheelhouse the other day i was I don't even know how we ended up getting connected, but I ended up emailing back and forth with an editor who works primarily in uh, commercial women's fiction. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, I don't work on that, but we sort of got to emailing. I was like, well, hey, do you want to have a quick call? I'd love to hear, you know, what you're working on, all the kind of stuff. And we did. And we didn't have any, like, we (laughs) we got to the end of this 20 minute conversation and it was like, no, I have absolutely nothing to, to pitch you. you, but it was fast. You know what I mean? Like, but it was such a good talk, and it was just so clear that people are so much more than the cog space they are allowed to fill. You know what I mean? And it's like we can. There's something really valuable there about yeah. how even if people aren't immediately useful to you in publishing, yeah, yeah. like they're still interesting and worthwhile, and like. They can become useful. That bit, like in that, <laughs> this is going to get me going on a whole other thing that I promise I won't for very long. But like that idea of like immediate versus long term use, you know, even is often like a framing that I chafe at because one other, like we talk about the system treating us well. One thing that also happens a ton in the book world is just like people not treating each other. Like people of equal power or of equal position, like the second you can't help someone, you never hear from them again. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the second you are, well, nobody's got time. That's what I mean. That's the thing. And but it just creates this environment where it's like, man, I I was really kind of despondent about it. Like you know, a few weeks ago, where it's just like, man, sometimes things feel transactional. Yeah. And you really have to push against that, you know. And I think this is what we're talking about. Like we are all people who want this industry to work in a slightly different way or radically different way in some regards and i think that starts by like (laughs) acknowledging each other's humanity in terms of not just like you know social graces and you know communication and things like that but also just like you know their intellect and scope of their imagination and like their ideas for things and all this sort of stuff like if that were honored i think publishing would look a lot different you know So to close this conversation out, I'm going to remind everyone to take all of your allowed PTO for the year. (laughs) Yes, do it. 
do it. I don't care if you stay home yeah, just, and just like binge watch right. like do it. Supernatural. I don't care. Like stay home. Yep. Take your PTO, Take your time. kids. Um, I'm going to transition us to our Tulune It May Concern. Please do. Tulune It May Concern. I've recently parted ways with my agent. The short version is we weren't a good fit and did not communicate well together. They, which is in quotes, say it's better to be without an agent than with the wrong agent. They also say that once you've had one, it's easier to get another. The first one makes sense to me, even more so now. But what about the second statement? Is it easier? If so, how? I feel like I'm starting over, only this time I don't know where to start. I'm also not sure that magic turns of phrases will tell my next queried agents that I've learned from an experience and maybe a good choice to take on rather than it just being a thing that happened. Is there a way to handle this and does it make it easier or am I just starting over? Is the best thing to do wait and start fresh when I finish my next book and call this round a loss? The manual doesn't have a bit this bit in the index. Good question. Yeah, very good question. So maybe the place to start, Laura, is you've opened your you've opened your queries. You're going through yep. you know what people have sent you. You get to one that looks interesting. Author says, I was previously with an agent and I'm now not. Yep. Tell me what goes through your head and what you start thinking and asking. Well, what goes through my mind, and this, and to be clear, like, this is not universal. I don't know how other agents think because I'm not in their brains. But my first thought is, oh, I bet their writing's pretty good. Yeah. And that's it. Like, as long as they tell me in the query that that the item that they are submitting to me, that the book they are submitting to me has been not submitted to uh, to editors mm-hmm. um then it's not really like i don't necessarily wonder what happened because like changing agents and leaving agents is so that's actually really pretty typical i want to stop you there because you said something crucial yeah um that is i think a really important operative step so like it depends when you drop or you when you part ways with the agent with regard to that specific book right like if you're parting ways after that book, you know, they pitched it everywhere mm-hmm. and it just didn't work out for whatever reason, which, you know, totally fine. It happens. It happens a lot. Like, um, then maybe maybe my advice is to go with the next one because at some point, like, I don't know, you, like you, your next agent is, unless they've got some radically different idea for what it is or who it might go to, and assuming that your last agent was at least you know, baseline competent and like was pitching to the right sorts of people and all that kind of stuff. Like it is tough to take on a book that has already been, pitched. that has already been pitched everywhere. You know what I mean? Because you know, that's just how it is. And so it's not impossible, but no. it does raise a lot of questions. And there are some agents who would just be like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that. Right. And, but that's, that's on the level of individual book, not writer. Yeah. And so I don't know, like for me, the thing I I have that first inclination too, which is that like, oh, this person this person's Probably writing well. is good enough to get representation. I'm at least vaguely interested. And I mean I guess like thing two, and this is this will sound very, you know, crass or whatever, but like my second question is always, okay, why'd they split? Oh, you think that immediately? I do. I don't really care. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean I guess I maybe I shouldn't and but I guess what I want to follow it up with is like it's not really in a judgmental way so much as it is like I don't know, I guess I get a lot of emails that are like that do a lot of like bashing of the person they were just with or really? like Yeah, where it's like, "Oh, I was with this agent and it turns out that just wasn't 
you know, I don't know. How My to... people are much more well behaved, I think. Well, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> you know, it's, it's. I get some nonsense. Yeah, in my I've inbox. never had yeah. like previous agent bashing. Like a lot of the time, it's just. You which know, is not, which it's clear this writer is not doing. Right, like, right. This, no, yeah. yeah. So, like, the good turn of phrase is just like amicably parted ways. Mm. Um, which is fine, and which is which is totally. Fine. You don't even need to tell, like tell me who it is. That's the thing. It's like if it's amicably parted ways, it's either just like they were moving in a different direction, you guys weren't like gelling, something was off, and that's fine. Like well, that's fine. Well, it, and again, like this is like the query step. Like if yeah. I want more stuff, I'll ask it the in call. the call. Yeah. But like in terms of querying, like the the this particular letter is. Referring back to, I feel like I'm starting from scratch with this query. Right. How can this possibly be easier? And I think just saying that you previously had an agent kind of gives you yeah. a little kind of just like if I was teetering between like, eh, I want to look at this and eh, I don't want to look at this. And it says that you had an agent before. It's a point in your favor. I might be moving towards, oh, I'll read the yeah. first three chapters because you probably have like you've got a little bit more yeah. dem demonstrable skill. Like, mm -hmm. that's not to say that all agents have, like, equally good taste in writing skill, um, but it's a little it's a little point. It'll, like, tip me over the edge a little bit in favor of just looking at it. And yeah. again, like, that's the point of a query is to just get somebody to open your fucking book. Right. That's it. Absolutely. That's what it is. Um, and, like, honestly, it probably doesn't feel like it from where this previously agented author is sitting but like you know what you need now which yeah. is also like cannot be yeah. understated as like it's, really its importance cannot be understated like you know how this process works you know what you need you know what isn't gonna work for you so like you're coming into this like in terms of good client behavior like the best most important thing is writers setting their expectations and like asking for what they need and like knowing, right? Because like as an agent, we deal with all sorts of personalities, we deal with all sorts of types of people, and we can make those accommodations, but only when they're like made clear to us, right? Mm -hmm. So just by having gone through this experience before, even though it feels like you're starting from scratch, you don't have anything, like you don't have anybody representing your work, etc. Like, you've been through the fire, like, you know what you need now, which is, which is a good thing. Like, that points to you theoretically being a better client. Yeah. And so all, like, on a personal growth level, I think it's self-evident how this is, you know, where you're not at square one. I mean, in terms of, like, how can it be easier to go through this round? I mean, I do think it's, you know, sort of what you said, which is that, like, I take queries seriously from or more seriously when it's from you know or i guess like maybe the phrase is like i you know i kind of stand up and pay attention when someone says i was working with somebody else like because i i guess this is a long way of saying is i don't think you are at square one right i think that your pitch and i know however it can feel i mean that's you know there's sometimes there's just no cure for how querying feels you know but i don't i think you should take heart in the fact that you're not starting from zero yeah um, if you're, I if I don't remember when from your reading if it if uh, the writer mentioned, like, um, you know if the book had been on sub yet or not, but that it didn't mention it. Okay, no. so that's something to think about a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, get, you know, the specifics of your situation or which book you're going out with. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think you just, I think you just stay the course, yeah. you know? I and, think it's worthwhile to mention, like, this, this question is from somebody who's already achieved what a lot of you who are listening, like, yeah. we are dying to achieve, yeah. right? Like, getting yeah. the agent. And, you know, they're worried that they're starting from zero. And I, I want to close out this episode by just reminding everybody, whereas unless you are just starting to write your very first query, yeah. you've just finished your very first book and you haven't yet submitted an aid to Correct. an agent, none of you are at zero. Right. Like exactly. it's either that you've got some feedback, you've had some responses, you, you are learning how to navigate the waters of querying your writing is getting better your query yeah. is getting better yeah. like this particular letter is worried about like the turns of phrase that got me an agent in the first place it's like that's skill that's a skill yeah. like you're already not at zero if somebody yeah. has rewritten their query letter and is like working the system even if you've never been like agented before you're still not at zero like right. the whole process it's not just binary like the result is did you get an agent yes or no but in terms of the, the process of querying, you're getting better at selling yourself. You're getting better at research. You understand the the publishing, the business side of it more. Like, unless you're you're like a a baby who is just starting and you haven't done any of it before, you're not at zero. You're already further along. You're already closer. You're not a baby. You're the boss baby. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> I would like to thank you all for joining us on this episode of Print Run. We'll see you here and on Patreon for the rest of Bookbird Summer. Bye.